0: Method and Madness is a true crime podcast and contains descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. There are memories that time does not erase. Forever does not make loss forgettable, only bearable. This is Method and Madness Episode 61: Murdered. Kristen O'Connell Part 6. I'm your host, Don Gandhi.
1: You are gone, and yet you are next to me. You are near, and yet you are far. Your freedom I can see. Your softness I can still feel. Your breath is still breathing in the people that you touched. You were my sister and my friend. Now you are my hopes and my dreams. I still hurt, but at least now I'm at peace with myself. I'll remember you with joy and happiness. I'll follow your footsteps with gracefulness. I'll love with you and for you. When I'm old and subtle, I'll remember a time of happiness. And when I see what no one else can, as I breathe my last breath, I'll think my last thought and shed my last tear for you. I will greet you, hold you, and walk with you. I will remember with you and cry with you. And so at last, I will finally be with you forever. Love, Kyle.
0: Kyle O'Connell wrote that after his big sister was murdered in the summer of 1985, he'd completely forgotten about the poem until recently when his Aunt Barb showed it to him. Now, I believe in signs, and as I was putting together this episode and writing out my script, on my Alexa came the song, St. Elmo's Fire. Kyle recently shared with me that St. Elmo's Fire was one of Kristen's favorite movies. I've seen those signs a lot ever since I first began learning about Kristen's story. Let's dive in. As the great Andy Dufresne said in The Shawshank Redemption... If you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You've stuck with me throughout this series. Kristen's story has been heard in all 50 states. In over 150 countries, thousands of listeners, I couldn't be happier to have you here. Perhaps you're intrigued by the mystery of an unsolved homicide. Maybe you're from Minnesota or New York State and you've followed this case for years and want to know more, help a family get answers. Maybe you want to know how much is known. Whatever the reason, you've all heard about that beautiful Midwestern girl with a big heart, and you've heard from a friend, a former boyfriend, an aunt, an investigator, an advocate, and a mother. Now it's time for you to hear from a brother. Getting to know Kyle O'Connell has been yet another positive experience, another reason to love this family. Kyle's down to earth, easy to talk to, and laid back. The same qualities I've heard people say about Kristen for months. He's also incredibly transparent. And it's that transparency that you'll hear today. Kyle talks about the years, the life before Kristen was killed, And about the harrowing days at a house in Burnsville, Minnesota, when it felt like everything slowed down, became blurry, that phone call, the dreaded one. Kristen is missing, and Kristen's body was found. This is the first time you'll hear from Kyle in the series. In fact, outside of some news coverage, Kyle's been quiet when it comes to the media. So it's an honor that he wants to participate here. He has his own story, one that should be told. You'll hear in his own words what a homicide does to a family, particularly an unsolved one, because every day without answers is unpredictable. The phone ringing at any time during dinner after 9 p.m. Is this finally it? Those moments that come sporadically without notice when an investigator says they're close only for another decade to go by. In the last few weeks, Kyle and I have spent hours on the phone as he's shared memories from his childhood, happy times, and ordinary, normal things that families do. The good stuff. Like this.
1: So this one was Easter. And we're at church. And we get there late. And me, Chris, and Dad are up against the back wall, standing, and they gave mom a chair. And you know the Catholic aerobics, sit, stand, kneel, sit, stand, kneel. So we're going through the the aerobic motion. And as the ushers are preparing for communion, I picked up the chair and moved it one chair space to the right. Mom's right-handed. So it was time for sit. So she reached her right hand down, grabbed the left arm of the chair now not the right because they moved it over while she was standing and she didn't notice and then she just went to plop in the chair, just kind of let her weight go Boop. she hit the ground and let let out this big <laughs> math halted. that church held 2,000 people and they all turned so what mom saw was me, Chris, and dad bolt out the door. She's thinking, they didn't even come over to help me up. Some stranger had to come help me up. I'm like, we we got outside and fell to the ground, holding our guts, laughing our ass off. <laughs> we were hysterically laughing. We couldn't breathe. We couldn't do, we couldn't fight. This was a Laurel and Artie moment, or this was a Lucille Ball moment in the making right there. It was, it was just classic, but, but the, my favorite memory of it wasn't the funny part. It was me and Kristen and Dad all having the same reaction and all not being able to breathe, and we're crying tears, and we're laughing.
0: The O'Connells were that loving family, two kids, a daughter, a son, a dog. They took vacations, road trips. They argued. They laughed in church parking lots and celebrated birthdays. Phyllis and Mike had careers, hobbies and interests, future. Kyle and Kristen did too. And it's that future that's such an important part of Kristen's story and why Kyle is featured today. He talks about an aspect of loss that we don't always hear about. If you could view your life at a high level, looking down at it laid out as a journey, showing the difficult times as bumps in the road or potholes and traffic, obstacles. And then the good days are represented by smooth, freshly paved streets and wide open spaces. And you start out heading down a certain route and you can see that point where the road hits a Y to the right was the life you anticipated, even if it was unknown. The left portion of that Y is where your car jerked at the last minute, and there's no way to go back. You're now on a completely new road, one that you didn't know was there in the first place, and it doesn't lead to any of the places you were originally headed. Kyle doesn't remember a lot from those early days after August sixteenth, 1985, the blur of the funeral, the unimaginable grief. Some things he's reminded of after his Aunt Barb or Mother Phyllis show him a memento of that time or talk about a specific memory. It was Freud who originally developed the concept of repression. He believed it to be the most important defense mechanism, self-preservation of sorts, And today's psychologists still discuss it, although like anything else, memory repression can be controversial or even dismissed as fiction. That a human can live through something terribly traumatic and bury it deep in their subconscious, only for a psychologist to unearth it in order for healing. But taking the psychoanalysis out of the equation, we can probably all just relate in some way. The moments that give us a sinking feeling or that sick feeling that we'd rather not remember, we tuck it away. And then when it creeps in, we become masters at hurriedly changing the subject in our own mind until we've done that enough times to shun it away. It's not that Kyle's actively trying to forget everything. He remembers his sister fondly.
1: And when she'd ride horse, she'd ride bareback. You know, she wouldn't always saddle up the horse. She'd just jump on, grab the mane, no reins, and take off. I mean, it was like the black stallion, literally like Hollywood. That's how she was when she rode. So, And she just looked, she had that long, flowing hair, and just hanging on to the mane and her and her horse, just cruising along. It was always cool. She was a good person. There's not a lot of good people. But she was one of them. She didn't have a vindictive bone in her body. She just was out to live, live, laugh, love. I don't hold a candle to her. Mom doesn't hold a candle to her. Dad probably doesn't. You know. I mean, it was she was special.
0: In August of 1985, before Kristen boarded a plane headed east, there were a couple of family gatherings, and Kristen had spent time at Aunt Barb's house, helping take care of her baby cousin
1: like she had a premonition to see everybody just in case or something like that. And maybe it was because this is her first trip all by herself. And maybe she just wanted the comfort of spending that time with us.
0: He also told me about this moment.
1: I just remember that she had laid down on the floor in my bedroom like the night before she left or Two nights before she left, I rolled over and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, just listening to your music. And I'm like, weird. Rolled back over and went to sleep. I have the normal reaction of any kid. I was like, what are you doing? This, weird. (laughs) I "I don't know. Did she know she was headed into trouble?
0: In episode one, we heard Barb talk about the calls she received from Mike O'Connell, saying that Kristen was missing. Phyllis hadn't gotten home yet. Here is Kyle talking about that day.
1: I remember the time when I got the call that day she was missing. I know they say that that they called my dad, but I don't know if they tried because the state police called the house. I answered and they told me that she was reported missing and they were trying to get a hold of mom and dad. They were on their they were driving from downtown back to the back to the house. My dad was the one who arrived. So I told him that Police wants to call him. Kristen's missing. And I remember everything just being quiet Still, until mom got home. And as soon as my dad told her, she immediately screamed, she's dead. I know it. I'll never, I can't get that out of my head because I was sitting upstairs at the top of the stairs when he told her and she just lost it. She's dead. I know she's dead. I know it. I know it. You know, but she knew her daughter, too. not be in contact for two days by telephone, Kristen had the the resources and the wherewithal to make a phone call to call out for help, and if you're missing for almost two days by the time you find out, yeah, chances are you didn't just go on a holiday and not tell anyone, you know?
0: When you heard your mom saying that, do you remember how that made you feel once it was said out loud?
1: I wasn't in denial of it, but I was hopeful that it wasn't, obviously. But it was more the fact of how my heart felt, not how my mind thought. It just had this gap or absence left in it after that. Just just to hear the absolute reaction Mom had, it was burned into my mind. I don't know if I had concluded or not concluded, but by Friday, They found her body. So it wasn't that many days to sit there and ponder, well, maybe she's still alive. And I didn't know at the time that mom had talked to her on the phone and she was going to be cutting her trip short, this, that, and the other. So mom knew more than I did when she heard the news.
0: What coping method would a 15-year-old have? What would be their go-to mechanism, their self-preservation, protection against anyone's worst fear?
1: By the time I got into high school, she was in college. And she was gone for those two years in college. So for me, what I did to deal with it was at that age, I just had to pretend she was still at college. That's where she parked in my mind. I had to stuff it down and stuff it down hard because, I mean, who do you deal with it with? Your parents are completely decimated. Barb remembers me listening to... Right after the murder or something, she came out to the garage and I was in the car and I was playing St. Elmo's Fire. So I had the soundtrack on, but I must have needed to leave the the room and go out and be by myself because I was sitting in the car, listening to music, in the garage. You know, I don't remember a hell of a lot from back then. I didn't have a lot of freedom because mom was so afraid of something happening to me. Like, hey, can I stay at a friend's house? No, no, no. I want you home. So... There were things that did change because of that, and I had to accommodate my mom. It wasn't so much my dad. He was pretty much, he was always cool. You know, the case wasn't always all-consuming, but, like, mom, mom had an amazing career, but then how many hours of her day has been dedicated to the to finding out who did this to Christmas?
0: Kyle didn't deal with a lot of the things he does remember until relatively recently. When he says he had to stuff the memories down, he means it. It's a trauma nobody wants to be able to relate to. As we're talking, and why Kyle's phone connection doesn't always sound perfect, is that Kyle's been down in Mexico selling his mother's dream, a home she purchased decades ago. It was her dream, and Barb's. To live near the Pacific Ocean. After Phyllis put down her career, she'd settle in, ready to watch oceanside sunsets every evening after dinner. How, though, how do you do that when your life is still in limbo and you vowed never to rest until you find out who killed your daughter?
1: It absolutely decimates a family and it it took mom's future away. Definitely changed the trajectory of mine and dad's i believe i think he passed because he just felt guilty because mom was cautious about her going and dad reassured her saying she's 20 she's an adult you know parents have to let go sooner or later and the one time he has that conversation with mom then his daughter gets murdered so it's like he internalized it
0: after Kristen's murder, one of Kyle's classmates told him he looked like a shell of a person walking the halls. When it came time to pick up his high school diploma, he just didn't. He decided to leave it there in the office.
1: Life was just a joke by then after your sister gets brutally murdered. So many of those things that people try to act like is so important. I just laugh at it. I'm not a capitalist at heart because money is not my motivator. Time is, and time with loved ones. So maybe that was created at that moment in my life when she was killed. And I lost her because I couldn't spend any more time with her. So I've always told people that time is what is of value to me.
0: Things have changed a lot, but back in the 80s, there weren't a ton of resources available for families of homicide victims. To help Kyle deal with the trauma, he went to group counseling for kids who'd lost their parents, but it wasn't the same. Let's take a break. What's interesting about Kyle's views on this case, the investigation, is he looks at Kristen's murder from a different angle. He looks at the choices made, what he knows about his sister, and what he knows about the mind of a teenage boy. There are a lot of theories on why Kristen wanted to go home early while she was in Ovid and whether or not that could be a clue as to what happened to her. Rumors like Jim Vermeer already had a girlfriend or something happening while Kristen was there that scared her off. What does Kyle think?
1: You know, that's pretty interesting because she was pretty laid back. It wasn't like she was offended by this trailer or anything like that. She was very accommodating on anything. So it wasn't like she would normally not make the best of a situation. So why she wanted to come home and cut the trip early, I believe, was because those kids were probably treating her very poorly. she, You know, being a virgin and, 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 and young guy... You know, they think they're all studs, they're just bagged of hormones, and who knows what happened when she denied. You know, I heard that Vermeesh was pretty much working all the time, wasn't around and spent time with her. So you come out to see somebody you think you care about, and then that person turns a cold shoulder because they just want to be a player, or even if they were crueler, who knows what they were like. But something made her want to leave, and that's not normal. If she was just, you know, ah, you know, maybe we're not right for each other, but it still be friendly. But it didn't seem to be friendly. She wanted to leave. There's those people with those personalities that's just unsatisfied, always controlling the situation. But that wasn't Kristen. She was pretty laid back. So for her to want to leave anything, that it, it would have to be bad. It couldn't just be boring. It would have to be bad that I know about her. But that's the way she was. And I I, I don't see the fact that she wouldn't have just stayed a few more days, left a few more days, and then continue your trip back. For her to call it off had to be something more than what people are saying.
0: Kyle's also fairly outspoken regarding his thoughts on the state police investigation over the years.
1: I know a lot of them have have good interest in it, David Jewell. Um, the cabin seems to be doing okay. He's a fair guy. But we always got these they always got replaced. And it's like you know after going through this how long it took you to absorb all of this. Could you imagine if you were doing it while you were working full time on, on current open cases? No. So how how could they even be affected? And then New York doesn't have a cold case team, but I don't know how. We've talked to politicians. We've talked to... We've tried everything. There's too much evidence that needs to be tested. Sitting there. Just sitting there. It was waiting for technology to get to where it is today. and Now it's been just, oh, we got enough money to test these pieces. Okay. Why don't you just get all of them tested? I understood back in the day the technology wasn't there. And I know they had issues with their lab in New York, and sometimes, you know, they're not qualified, but I think that the excuse is always budgetary. And then the other thing that happens is, is the minimal amount of labs and lab techs they have, even if, you, even if you've got the budget, there might be a current case headed to court, and that'll take precedence over us. That's my feeling on it is 37 years, where's the confession going to come from? Maybe it is still out there. Maybe it will happen, but... I know they've exhausted interviewing everybody they could possibly interview, and they haven't even interviewed, what, maybe 40% of what our private investigators have done. So when you look at that, and these are volunteers. In the beginning, they were paid, and that's, that's what happens with a retirement account. But it's priceless to have information that those private investigators gathered, because I don't know what's in the files and the boxes of the police stuff because they always want to keep everything under wraps. I know it's not nearly what the outside private firms have done and the volunteers have done. And I think they need to make cold cases, cold cases, and I think they should have some officers, but not ones that are two years from retirement, because that just abuses us. We get a new detective every so many years, got promoted, got transferred, whatever. like, no, let somebody start it and working for the rest of their career. I can't even count how many detectives have been on this case. All I see that being is a lot of wasted time of them trying to catch up and get caught up to where the case is at.
0: And here's one more thought from Kyle on what his sister's case has done to his mom.
1: It's just what the case does to people, you know, because mom has a lot of anger, and. That's what she runs off of. She's mad because her daughter was murdered. And how do you blame her? And that's her fuel, you know. She she basically gave up her future and everything else. And it kind of took the rest of the family with it. What was left of the family after dad died.
0: To hear Kyle articulate everything from his point of view of the past almost 38 years is a reminder, we never know what anyone is going through at any given time. It's a reminder that grief and trauma and moving forward means something different for everyone, that there's a whole world beyond the details of a murder and the details of an investigation, and that world can sometimes look like a life on hold. To conclude today's episode, since the series is starting to wind down, I want to say there won't be a final episode of Kristen's story because this isn't goodbye. Kristen's story doesn't have an ending yet. Yes, there will be an episode soon that will go through the entire timeline and the discrepancies because it's another tool that may help spark a memory. Someone out there listening, maybe an investigator or a sleuth, will notice something that nobody else has. So stay tuned for that, and you'll be hearing from me again on Kristen's story. Even as I cover other cases, I'm not giving up on this one. I know there will be updates. That big update we're all hoping for, waiting for, and fighting for. So for now, a word from Kristen herself. You see, it wasn't until after Kristen died that it was realized she and Kyle were both writers. Here's a poem she wrote while grieving the death of her grandmother. It was 1974, and Kristen was nine. Thank you for being here. There is a purpose for everyone, everything, and place. In time, you must seek your purpose in this world. For this purpose is waiting somewhere in this world of ours. Seek, find, and rejoice. You can change my voice. You can dye my hair. You can shorten my nose, but you can't change me inside. I'm me and I always will be. In the back of my mind are things I've never known, things of the future and the present. And in time, they will come forward to me, but I'm so impatient. I wonder if I can wait that long. I wish somehow they would all come rushing out at me. When I sit in my corner and think of the world, I want to roll up and die. But something inside me says no, so I keep struggling on. Why?